Well, here's some good news in the world of diplomacy for you today. Uh, not all battles over territory need be hostile ones or have hostile ends. Take the case of tiny uninhabited Hans Island in the Arctic. Now, Canada and Denmark have been arguing in a friendly kind of way for decades over who exactly it belongs to. It's 18 kilometers between Ellesmere Island, which is Canadian, and Greenland, which is Denmark. Technically, it's it's 18 kilometers from each, so it's right in the middle. So it was always under dispute. Well, we have a settlement now. We will share the 1.3 kilometer uh, square rock almost uh, down the middle. Uh, we've reached an agreement uh, on it, and um, that seems like good news. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie uh, formally signed the deal today in Ottawa with the Danish Foreign Minister and Greenland's Prime Minister, who is here as well. Uh, here's what Melanie Jolie had to say about it. We wanted to give momentum, particularly in light of February 24th, what happened with uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And so it's symbolic because it, at the time where it's happening, as we're seeing that there's an illegal and unjustifiable invasion. Second, it is important because we're setting a precedent, like I said before. And third, I think that we're showing today that um, we can work together and solve problems. And there you go. That's how the uh, the Battle of Hands Island was solved. Well, joining me now with more on this is Michael Byers. He's the Canada Research Chair in Global Politics and International Law at the University of British Columbia. Thanks so much for your time. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So this seems like a pretty happy story, all in all, at least a happy uh, finish to it. Uh, maybe a bit of a history lesson here for listeners who may not remember much more about Hands Island than a few bottles being buried and flags being raised over the years. Well, we, we only discovered that uh, there was a, a, an island of uncertain uh, ownership uh, in the middle of Nars Strait way back in 1973 when Canada and Denmark were negotiating the maritime boundary between Greenland and Canada. And they came across this rock, and it was right in the middle. And because the negotiators did not have a mandate to negotiate a land border, they left the island to be resolved in a couple of years. So they did the whole maritime boundary. They left the island thinking they'd come back in a year or two and negotiate that also. But then Canadian and Danish politicians discovered that this disputed island was actually a domestic political opportunity, an Arctic sovereignty dispute with a very close ally where there was no risk of going to war and where the island itself was worthless. There was nothing there to fight over, just the symbolism of an Arctic sovereignty dispute. I guess politicians can never resist a little piece of symbolism. So we did see, uh, and as you mentioned, there's real no, there's no real value to it. There's nothing there. I gather it's uh, Inuit uh, hunting areas, perhaps at the most. But so, so what happened over the years? There was a bit of a, a a tussle in the in the mid knots over uh, over a Bill Graham visit, I remember, uh, and and some whiskey, some bottles of alcohol planted back and forth between the two sides. Was it ever serious? I mean, there, was it ever tense? Well, I've actually gone back and checked the dates of all of the visits to Hans Island by Danish and Canadian officials and soldiers. And curiously enough, the the Danes always visited shortly before a Danish election campaign. And the Canadians always visited shortly before a Canadian election campaign, and this went on for several decades. So in other words, 
Hans Island was uh, weaponized for the purposes of domestic politics in both countries. Um, you know, Canadians and Danes both care about Arctic sovereignty, and uh, and politicians weren't above using that. And you mentioned Bill Graham, who was Canada's defense minister at the time, who flew to Hans Island in a helicopter, a very expensive trip, uh, in order to uh, uh, basically beat his chest about Arctic sovereignty shortly before a Canadian election. But both sides knew that, that this wasn't a, a really serious international dispute, and the way they indicated that to each other was by leaving alcohol behind on the island. So the Canadians would leave a bottle of Canadian Club whiskey uh, among the rocks of a, a cairn on the top of the island. Uh, the Danes would show up a year or two later, they'd drink the whiskey, and they'd leave behind a bottle of Danish schnapps. And this, again, went on for decades, and it thus became known as the Whiskey War. Now, Michael, you've been calling for this to be settled for quite a while now, <laughs> and, and and I was wondering how you, why this is a subject that you felt uh, you know strongly about, just in, in the sense that you thought maybe this was a bit of a, a bit of a waste of time when there was so much else out there to talk about when it came to Arctic sovereignty. I would suspect. Yeah, it's partly that there are far more serious things to talk about. Uh, you know, we actually have a a long-standing dispute over the status of the Northwest Passage with the United States. And that dispute matters, especially in the longer term as the sea ice melts and and accessibility for international shipping uh, improves. Um, and we have uh, some issues in the Central Arctic Ocean uh, with Russia that require a lot of diplomacy. Um, they're going well, but they still require a lot of diplomacy uh, and, and may become difficult now given the breakdown in relations uh, with Russia uh, due to the Ukraine war. So Hans Island was, was really you know, small potatoes compared to these other things. But at the same time, it, it was an opportunity. It, it, it is an opportunity um, because, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's very clear that, that you could do something uh, constructive with this situation. You could, you know, draw a line down the middle. You could, as uh, the Canadian and Danish governments did today, use a, a small gully that passes more or less down the middle to mark the, the, the border. Or you could have done what a Danish colleague and I proposed seven years ago and actually declare the island a legal condominium. So not a condominium in the sense that we think about it in cities, but a, a place of shared sovereignty where, where both countries uh, would have sovereignty over the same piece of land and co-manage uh, the island. Uh, that was the, the option that attracted me the most. It's, it's not unprecedented, but it is unusual. And it would truly symbolize the cooperation between the two countries. But sadly, that's not the option that the two governments chose. Why do you think that is? Why do, you, why do we need all of a sudden this island divided in half and uh, essentially, I guess, our first border uh, with a European nation, quote unquote? Yeah, um, well, it is a bit ridiculous in that if you have enough money, you could take a, uh, a small ice-strengthened Arctic cruise ship uh, to the Canadian High Arctic in the future and go ashore on Hans Island in a Zodiac and uh, you know, proceed to step back and forth across the international border between Canada and the Kingdom of Denmark. Uh, I should say that, that Hans Island is not part of the European Union because uh, Greenland is not part of the European Union, but Greenland is part of Denmark, and, and so technically it is European. Um, so lots of fun to be had with that uh, in terms of uh, you know selfies and uh, bragging rights, but... Uh, 
um, yeah, a condominium would have been, you know, I think a, a, a much more uh, uh, symbolic way of, of symbolizing the uh, the high degree of cooperation that Canada has with Denmark. And let me underline this. Denmark and Canada are partners in NATO. We're partners in the Canada-European Union Free Trade Agreement. And I you know, sometimes joke that Canadians spend more on Lego blocks than any other country, which are, of course, imported from Denmark. I've actually been, I've been to Copenhagen. So yeah, you could, Lego is certainly a big part of, uh, part of Danish society and we are big fans of it. Were you impressed with just how this came together? I mean, it, it as you mentioned, it, it was symbolic, but sometimes symbolism matters in these, in these affairs. Yeah, it, it's been a, a while coming. Uh, there was a, an agreement signed back in 2005 to, to work towards an agreement uh, that stalled when Stephen Harper was Prime Minister because Mr. Harper made Arctic sovereignty a big part of his political brand. And then when Justin Trudeau came into office, uh, he he didn't uh, focus on Arctic sovereignty. The the issue uh, you know lost prominence that probably helped this solution come about. Um, so yeah, it's it's been going for a while in terms of the negotiations. Um, you know, how do I say this? There, there's some very very capable men and women who who work in the Canadian Foreign Service who've been looking at this as as something that that made sense that they wanted to achieve and i think the the russian invasion of ukraine created the the optimal uh, situation because it provided as as melanie jolie the canadian foreign minister said you know earlier in the segment it provided the opportunity for canada and denmark to show how responsible countries solve their territorial disputes. They do so through negotiations. They do so uh, peacefully. And and that's a signal not just to Russia, but perhaps also to China when you think about China's claims in the South China Sea or, you know, its aspirations with regards to Taiwan. You know, this this Hans Island agreement isn't going to solve those problems, but it's a way of, of sending a signal nevertheless. I'm speaking with Michael Byers. We're talking about uh, an agreement reached today officially by uh, Canada and Denmark to uh, to divide a little piece of rock right uh, just a thousand kilometers south of the North Pole that sits 18 kilometers from Canada and 18 kilometers from Greenland or in the kingdom of Denmark. So we've decided amicably to split the island in half uh, and share it, essentially. Uh, they did talk a lot about Russia today, and it was interesting, to, and you mentioned some of this earlier, but just about some of the challenges that lie ahead that will certainly be more difficult than settling the Hans Island issue. Challenges that lie ahead uh, between Canada and other Arctic nations uh, in terms of, of just settling some of the territorial disputes that exist uh, in the in the region. And you mentioned as well, especially with the, with the war in Ukraine, and we'll get to that after this. My guest this half hour is Michael Byers, the Canada Research Chair in Global Politics and International Law at UBC. We're talking about an agreement reached today, or at least announced today, by Canada and Denmark over Hans Island, a tiny piece of rock uh, about a thousand kilometers south of the North Pole uh, that Canada and uh, Denmark have agreed to share. Uh, half-half is a good way of putting it. Uh, but there are many more complex uh, diplomatic issues in the Arctic these days. And uh, uh, Michael, I, I guess I've, I remember reading about a trip you took eight, a while back now, I guess about 15, 16 years ago, where you witnessed sort of the, how fast Arctic sea ice was was melting and just how quickly that this would cause uh, issues when it came to negotiating what happens in the, in the far north. And I guess with the war in Ukraine, none of this has become any easier. Yeah, I've uh, I've traveled to the 
the Arctic on, on a number of occasions. I've, I've actually been through the Northwest Passage a couple of times on uh, Canada's research icebreaker, the, uh, the Admonson. Um, and the first voyage that I made was in 2006, and I was struck by uh, by how the Coast Guard crew and the scientists on board were, were shocked by how quickly the the ice was was melting as compared to to previous years. And of course, it's it's only become worse since then. Um, you know, I've traveled to um, Baffin Island to uh, Alukduk National Park. Um, the the place that the 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 the, the name the Inuit name for it is the the place that never melts, and on successive visits I've seen an entire glacier disappear. You know, climate change is real, and and the Arctic is on the front line of it. And uh, one of the consequences is that, uh, that 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 the Arctic Ocean and the Northwest Passage are becoming more accessible uh, to ships, and that includes uh, foreign shipping. Um, now the, the 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 Northwest Passage is benefiting from the fact that uh, you know climate change brings a lot of unpredictable weather, so we still get serious Arctic storms. The remaining sea ice is much more mobile; it moves around in unpredictable ways. And ironically, we're actually seeing more icebergs than we used to, because icebergs come from glaciers on land, and the glaciers are moving more quickly into the ocean as a result of climate change. So it, it's still a very dangerous place for ships, and that's keeping most of the foreign shipping away for the moment, but probably not you know, in the long term. And, and we need, among other things, to resolve our dispute with the United States over the status of the Northwest Passage, where we argue that we have full control. And the United States argues that it's an international strait open to foreign ships without Canada's permission. Has there been any movement on it at all? I realize that, I guess, traditionally we've agreed to disagree, right? We, we've agreed to disagree um, since 1988 when uh, uh, Brian Mulroney was prime minister, uh, Joe Clark was foreign minister, uh, and President Ronald Reagan visited Ottawa. And uh, uh, he and, and Brian Mulroney got along very well and uh, told their uh, their officials to... Uh, to sort it out, and the the agreement that uh, was uh, negotiated among the the officials was that uh, that the United States would uh, always uh, seek permission from Canada before sending a U.S. Coast Guard icebreaker through the Northwest Passage, and Canada promised to always give permission. So <laughs> it was a, a, an agreement that that enabled both sides to. Uh, um, to say that uh, the situation had not changed while allowing them to to cooperate. And it's actually called, the treaty is called the Arctic Cooperation Agreement. Um, I guess we're waiting for a moment when you know, Canada can negotiate with the United States on this issue. That wasn't going to happen when Donald Trump was president. Um, it could conceivably happen with Joe Biden as president, uh, because the Canadian government gets along better with this administration. But of course, Mr. Biden's pretty busy these days with other things. So uh, yeah. you now we wait. Um, but the fact that we've actually come to an agreement with Denmark could create some momentum. And uh, I'm actually hopeful that the same team of Canadian diplomats will now move on to the next uh, Arctic sovereignty dispute. 
Well, I'll have to save Russia for our next conversation. Michael Byers, thanks so much uh, for uh, keeping our listeners up to date on exactly what this Hans Island resolution was all about and putting it into some historical context. Much appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.